I'm Ben Silverio. And I'm Aaron Klein. And I'm Ansel Birch. And it's time to party! This month's episodes on Bring It On were recorded on March 26, 2023. We are not doctors. We don't give medical advice. Please drink responsibly. Sure. <laughs> Pyro, smoke machine. Right, oh, it is WrestleMania week. I saw people talking about WrestleMania, and I was like, is that this week? Oh, oh yeah. I'm so glad to not be a part of that right now. Thank God. <laughs> Cody Rhodes is going to use all of the pyro available in California. So Jesus Christ. Cody Rhodes <laughs> is going to personally dur- burn down the remaining patches of forest. Oh, no. <laughs> it was just one spark. Uh, <laughs> that's all it takes. Ben. <laughs> yes. Aaron. Ben. What are we talking about today? We are talking about the 2000, right? The year 2000s seminal Ooh. time travel it movie, so Bring It On. <laughs> oh, you know that again, we just we talked about it the last episode. What's how can you not think of Bring It On when you think classic time travel media? It's uh, you know, it's Ben said, it's seminal. It's a seminal. We, I'm, again, we talked about it last episode. We don't even need to go into it. We don't even need to go into it. it yeah. It's right up there with Back yeah. to the Future and Terminator. Absolutely. When, when you ask someone to name their top 10 time travel movies and they don't include Bring It On, I don't know, man. Maybe discontinue that <laughs> friendship. Uh, that's drastic, that's but maybe it's questionable. not. I, it's questionable yeah, at best. Definitely. If it's maybe. their first offense, I mean, maybe. But like a third offense? Plus, I don't you know, know. Maybe cut them off. Anyway. Because like of said, Bring It On, um, <laughs> you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe fans should be should be rejoicing. You know, because without it, Peyton Reed wouldn't have gotten, uh, you know, Ant-Man and all the time travel that came with that eventually. Yeah. You know, linked time travel. This isn't retroactive in any go. way. That was definitely planned at the time of the Bring It On movies. Yeah, you know, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> By the way, did weird piece of trivia? Did you know that Peyton Reed was the actor who played the mime in the in the like montage of hilarious styles that they're going to? That's study? amazing. I did not know that. That's very funny. I did not know that. Caught that on the IMDb. Oh trivia last night <laughs> Peyton Reed his career has come a long way people went when first talking about Ant-Man they were just like I'm sorry we went from Edgar Wright to the bring it on guy but obviously bring it on prepared him for big things <laughs> right exactly bring it on it's a big production it's true <laughs> but yes we're gonna review the movie that we'll be spotlighting this month uh get all of our thoughts feelings emotions etc etc yeah all the, all that good stuff because you know you want all that Yay. in your teen movies exactly 100 percent. that's that's what i'm looking for high drama <laughs> in a teen movie especially one from the 90s slash oh. 2000s oh my god all right let's just let's get into it right that's up right. top some of this does not no. hold up. Some of this movie is not very good to watch in 2023. But to be honest, for a movie that's over an hour and a half, I would say less than five minutes of the movie is like actually offensive, yeah. which was pretty surprising, actually. Like, it's spread out. Those five minutes aren't consecutive. It definitely occurs throughout the whole movie. But, like, mm-hmm. I was... I. 
honestly, the thing that doesn't hold up the most are the yep. gay jokes. It feels like they're very aggressive in a post-Hillary Duff, don't say things are gay campaign way, where it's like, I think a very good uh, indication of where we were as a culture at the time, that like that was something that you could just make super flippant jokes about constantly, and it wasn't like a derailment of any kind. It That was the most uh stark thing that stood out to me as not yeah r word f word like just oh r word oh my god oh, yes that hard yeah. r at the 45 minute mark yep it's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no though there were a lot of times where it's just like oh man uh, like just flippantly dropping those words yeah man now the, would not stand the f slur is all over oh yeah no it's yeah, there were some uh, some Efsler drops that I was just like, wow, people really just say that all the time, huh? Like that really blew me away. I I don't know part of it is because I'm queer and I knew kind of young that I I don't remember people using that slur so freely, but I guess I just yeah. don't remember it, which is I guess I, good. I, I th- Glad that it doesn't exist I like think that anymore. It was used yeah, was so much sailing. when I was younger that I was I just didn't think about it. And now that uh, now my brain is wired to think about it, it's just like, mm-hmm. how did this, how did this slide? Like the one that caught me off guard the most was when they pick up Missy to go to the first football game, and they're asking, um, you know, about yes. the the male cheerleaders' sexual orientation, and I'm just like, damn, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's wild because I feel like that uh, Missy is quoted as kind right. of queer and is called a dyke many times. And so it's, I feel like in 2023, you could watch that with a very generous eye and mm-hmm. be like, that's one queer person speaking to another right. queer person, but it's not written that way. That's not what they intended at all from that scene. And it felt really startling. It also felt a little startling in that. I know I noticed in that same scene, he doesn't say yeah. that he's gay. He says he's controversial, which feels more mm. like to me that he's indicating that he's bisexual, which is even more surprising for a 2000s movie than to just completely write him as a gay character. I like that they didn't actually differentiate yeah. that he was fully 100% gay. It's implied, and he like flirts with a man later, but I don't know if that's part of like censor code at the time that they're like, don't actually say that you're gay or how that came Mm. out. But I like now that it can be read a little more fluidly. So that was also very surprising. You know, the the writing of Bring It On um, (laughs) is so interesting because you get those stereotypical moments, you know, that just like pigeonhole uh, these young people into these categories. But they also in the same script will lift up uh various people for doing these things that their the characters stereotypically wouldn't be doing like uh you know Torrance taking AP classes you know Darcy doing well in the SATs um the the biggest example though is Gabrielle Union um cuz when she joined the film uh, it was right after she did 10 Things I Hate About You, She's All That, and Love and Basketball. So bring it on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, she was like a big star at the time. I mean, she still is, but like she yeah. was, it wasn't like she was, 
It's funny because I feel like Kirsten Dunst was pretty well known at this time because she'd already right. done like Interview with a Vampire. I mean, she was a child actor, but it's weird that she was so good in this movie and it became like a stain on her and her career for a long time mm -hmm. in a way that didn't happen to Gabrielle Union. And I wonder if part of that is because she had already done all of those other teeny bopper movies and so it didn't feel like a rubber stamp on her career well, also, in the Kirsten same way that I think was might pursuing award fodder also you know they were they were in very different circles yeah, when it came to true. their projects um but also like part of what made Gabrielle yeah, Union's true. part in this movie so uh impactful uh cuz first she wanted to be in the that movie Sugar and Spice the movie about the cheerleaders robbing people. Oh, yeah. yeah. The other cheerleader movie. I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. yeah they premiered like really close to each other. Yep, but like, um, within a, a month Apparently, or two, they didn't want to like um, make any of their leads uh, black. <sighs> so she didn't. Uh... Yeah, I know. Uh, but uh, right after she got turned away from that, she found a movie called Cheer Fever, <laughs> which is what Bring oh. It On was originally. What a terrible um, title. <laughs> Holy Christ. Yeah. And. The script was equally as bad. Ugh, that's not surprising. Yeah. So uh, I, I found out all of this stuff when I was doing research to interview Gabrielle Union when she was in the Cheaper by the Dozen remake on Disney+. Oh, Plus. yeah, yeah. So, like, I took kind of a deep dive mm. into her career. Um, and, like, in an interview, she said that the original script uh, for Bring It On had Isis uh, speaking in, like, made-up exploitation dialogue. Jesus Christ. So the shooting script Ooh. did not end up on, on screen at all. Good. They were changing the script constantly thanks to Peyton Reed and uh, another writer uh, who Gabrielle Union went on to work with a couple times. And I'm blanking on his name right now and I'm sorry. But, um, but yeah, they were basically like throughout the whole process, they were like, hey, would Isis really say this? Would the Clovers really say this? Mm -hmm. So Gabrielle Union had a huge hand in making sure that these characters felt authentic and fully formed because Isis was just going to be like a stock character, essentially, and have it all be about the Tauros. But, you know, uh, because of the Clovers storyline, this, uh, this movie ended up exploring uh cultural appropriation in a way that teen movies typically don't mm -hmm. you see mm -hmm. these strong uh black female characters standing up for themselves uh you know uh you see a ton of white guilt yes. um and it, it, it's just, it was just great to see because you don't often get that especially in in this genre also i really like and i made a note on this too i really like that on the Toros on the predominantly white squad there's all these jokes and this like talk about how they're gay and how all the cheerleader guys must be gay that is never once mentioned about any of the clovers mm. and in a culture where black men being assumed as feminine or queer is controversial in many ways like I like that on this they were like nope not a big deal these dudes are on this squad they're obviously very cool who gives a fuck? Like, I really liked that. I thought that that was a a really good choice. And I feel like now probably influenced by Gabrielle Union, which is good to know. I'm glad. Yeah. And it, it's mm -hmm. a, as much as certain points of 
bring it on don't hold up anymore some of the parts hold up even stronger you know and i wish mm-hmm. some of those elements you'd see more of you know and thankfully you do get to see a lot more uh diversity in mm-hmm. in these casts uh as as leads um you know you get to see uplifting stories from people of color uh in american society like the this in in certain aspects bring it on was ahead of its time but then you know you mm-hmm. get jan right yeah they didn't He's... knock it out of the park every time no yeah, it's we sort of talked about this in the first episode but it's weird because i feel like there are ways that you can read this where some of it is satirical but it's right. like some of the stuff that reads is super satirical it's like i don't think that that's what they meant to do here and it's funny that now watching it 23 years later it it some of the stuff that feels very satirical which i don't think was supposed to be at the time almost reads as like not almost it's camp it feels like bring it on mm-hmm. feels super camp in lots of ways i do not think it was intended to be camp but then mm-hmm. there are parts of it that do feel intentionally campy like sparky plastery is a great example of that like that whole bit is very camp and like them mm-hmm. learning the different styles in order to like the mime and the swing dance like that's all very camp too and it's i have no idea how much of that was intentional or not but i like that it feels very campy now and looking back on it it like sits as this weird camp milestone of the the 2000s you're being a cheer tater torrance right like and a pain in my ass some of it is just like wow this is very over the top in a way that's clearly like we talked about this too in the first episode those two terrible characters whitney and what's her courtney and whitney yeah like that's very camp that like very exaggerated shitty girl those like weird clapbacks that are that we talked about in the first episode too like that is very camp all of that is very camp and it's like again did you mean to do this because if not i'm kind of glad it wound up this way and if so i would rather know that so i can give credit to the fact that this is like purposely satirical instead of just like me with two 23 year later rosy glasses being like actually Mm -hmm. it's cam it does seem like there's an opportunity to look at it that way because we've got we do have the storyline with isis and the clovers and and i think that the other thing that really made me wonder how self-aware they were in the moment is the fact that Torrance, I don't think ever gets an easy out throughout the entirety of the movie. She gets held to her shit and, Mm -hmm. and made to pay for the mistakes of both herself and big red. Mm -hmm. Now, granted it's usually on the second time that she gets the easy out, but not the first. And that, that felt, uh, yeah, (laughs) felt like a, enough tension that like they are really holding her to mm-hmm. to her standards and they really are forcing her to atone for the errors uh in a way that is uh genuine mm-hmm. uh and that feels like a more serious movie or at least a more self-aware movie yeah than the rest of the film that we're watching yeah, and I feel like the way that her parents interact with her, especially when she goes to them and is talking about, like, put your money where your mouth is. Like, you you say you want to be about it, then be about it. And she leaves and they're like, what the fuck just happened? Like, that, I think, also points to that, where it's like, okay, I, I, I think this is what you're trying to do here. And, like, it does work sometimes. And I like that she's 
held to that account and we get to see that journey for her as well. I feel that same way too when she goes to finally break up with Aaron. It's not like she's yes. shocked by the fact that he has is a huge douchebag and is clearly cheating on her. She's just prepared for it at that point because it feels like she knows she's reaping her her just rewards in many ways that like mm-hmm. I deserve this. I I put up with this piece of shit boyfriend who tried to sabotage me and like I, okay, yeah, I need to accept that I have to cut these losses out of my life. I liked that journey. And I think they did a really good job with that. Yeah. You know, I think that uh, the self-awareness definitely came in way after the original writers of cheer fever were no longer needed Mm -hmm. on the project. You know, like once all of the things were in motion and the people were involved, that the the story really started to evolve into this more self-aware thing. And, you know, one of the notes that I made about Torrance, uh, is that she really is a, a great character. Uh, and I said, despite the white guilt, but maybe it's because of the white guilt, because she sees that she needs to be held accountable for stuff. Um, and she's just not simply that that airhead cheerleader trope, you know, because she is mm-hmm. smart. She stands up to Aaron. She has integrity. You know, she communicates well, even with Cliff. You believed in me. You know, like that you don't typically get uh, your lead character um, being that self-aware. And it's an important thing to show your audience to be like, hey, this is this is how things could be. Yeah, it's it's interesting how much got stacked on top of what was apparently a terrible script. Right. That almost does make me think that a lot of this stuff is intentionally satirical and campy because it's sitting on Mm -hmm. top of this terrible material. It's like people Mm -hmm. who watch Starship Starship Troopers and think that it's like a totally serious movie. And it's like, no, this is clearly (laughs) a satire. And because it's stacked on top of all of this shit, you don't like notice it. That I think uh, Showgirls is even a better example of that. Like most people don't understand that that's a satire and they just think it's Mm -hmm. a bad movie. And it's like, no, you have to like stack all these layers on top of it. And so I feel like, I'm glad that you told me that. I feel like knowing that the script had such a shitty base does make me feel like this stuff is more intentional. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And just seeing where Peyton Reed has come from as a filmmaker, like, I don't think that his style would be to just accept this script as at, at face value and just do it. You know, he's going to add his own voice, which does have an element of satire to it. You yeah. know, like, it, I, I always go to Ant-Man when talking about Peyton Reed because, uh, you know, obviously big Marvel fan. So, like, he kind of flipped the script on on the heist movie with uh his ant-man movies you know uh Mm -hmm. each time featured a a different kind of heist that isn't your your run-of-the-mill heist and he makes it interesting even without the ant powers you know Mm -hmm. um but yeah i think he was doing the same thing here and of course largely uh it was fueled by uh the the teen queen gabrielle union Mm -hmm. which i like to call her her majesty the queen uh, because she's so so great in this and in her body yeah. of work. Yeah, she's really, really good in this. Um, I also wanted to point out Jesse Bradford as Cliff. He was really good in this. 
Yeah, really, he's really good in this. I really enjoyed his performance. It's funny because some of it feels very cringy because I'm an adult watching teenagers flirt or whatever. <laughs> and there were times where I wanted to crawl inside of my body and die because it felt so cringy. But at the time, as a teenager <laughs> watching this, it was like the height of romance. He was so romantic. And now looking back, it's like, well, yes, he's also a dweeb. And so I like yeah. that it ages in a way that kids and teenagers can watch this and be like oh it's so romantic he does a great job of threading that line i think it's it's really good you can tell he was a child actor and and has done this oh, yeah. for a long time like <laughs> he he clearly knows how to hit that middle point yeah you know like when this movie came out i totally wanted to be cliff you know like <laughs> i the making the mixtape thing was definitely something that i tried to do and mm -hmm. I, it also kind of made me think of how i i miss that I uh, that I used to make more time for playlists and mixtapes, you know, because not only did I enjoy making them for people, but it was almost like like meditative, you know, mm -hmm. yes. like the, mm -hmm. the process. Like, obviously, I wasn't like recording off of a boombox onto another tape. Yeah, man. Oh. I was burning CDs, but still, <laughs> but still, it was it was a, yeah. it was a it was a fun process kids today have it so easy you just throw everything onto a spotify playlist uh, like that's i made a playlist for the trip we took in in february and it wound up being like 28 hours long because I, I just threw everything yeah. on there i was like it's the vibe it all fits uh so i take make, making a playlist pretty seriously but most people it's like oh i just need 14 songs to chuck onto this playlist super easy but like nope. ripping songs from the internet which meant going on to i don't know limewire maybe and yep. risking it all for like one mislabeled song oh yeah it's uh, a lot harder but yeah the cassette in this when he when she takes out the cassette i was like oh, a cassette oh my god <laughs> it was a real blast from the past like oh shit it's funny that you mentioned limewire because i definitely downloaded just what i need off limewire for mixtapes so back then <laughs> that's so funny yeah this was my first time watching the movie i know shocking and i was really surprised that the song that he wrote her didn't end up being in the in the the like ultimate cheer routine. I was sure that's what they were setting up. It was. Uh, was was it? it? Yeah. That that point where he is like rocking out to it. They show him in the stands. That was his song. Oh, that guitar riff. You're right. Yeah. And they do that in the. I didn't even realize that. Man, I, I didn't catch that. I never would have realized that's what that was. Oh yeah. Oh. Well, man, that really flew over my head. <laughs> well, there we go. I'm, gl I'm glad that they did that. Good work, them. Because see, like that that element, right, was something that I loved about that final performance because it really like in it brought together everything that they went through as a team. Uh, so it really like showcased them, uh, but like the new them. Uh, and so like something like that came up later uh, in life when in pitch perfect uh you have the 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 kid from dear evan hansen um what's his name ben yeah ben pratt ben what's his fuck yeah pratt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah you have him being the nerdy kid who does magic as part of the the acapella group and then in the finale mm -hmm. he sings i've uh i've got the magic in me and then doesn't do magic in the <sighs> number so you don't get that payoff, and I'm still annoyed to this day about it. Ick. No thanks. I've never seen Pitch Perfect. I, I made a judgment <laughs> call and was like, no. <laughs> I mean, you, like you made the right call. 
<laughs> I, I don't like those movies uh, uh. for reasons like that, where you set up something so easily and then you don't pay it off. And you know, it's no like screenwriting it. 101. When you put yeah. a, a, a gun on the wall in act so one, it better so be fired better by shot. act three. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It, <laughs> but yeah, I, I love that bit where you see cliff just rocking out because like he hears the song yeah. but also he's like oh torrents but also i think it's yeah, funny I that he... he was just like into it <laughs> oh yeah but also it was funny that he managed to fly out to daytona beach florida in a day's notice dude i said the same thing i was like i cannot believe that this younger brother got carted all the way to daytona like why are both of her parents at this competition and why is only missy's brother at this competition also <laughs> as a clarifying note are they are they twins was that the, the deal step I don't know siblings they, they're step siblings yeah. oh i never figured that out oh, okay. i didn't pick up on that i had no, no idea that they were step siblings that's why they moved from la is because the two got their parents got married i'm right. assuming uh yes because uh cliff mentions that i believe he was from detroit yeah he says he lives in detroit kentucky la and somewhere else i don't remember Mm -hmm. yeah oh okay i just assumed they were fraternal twins and i was like i don't know if i ever really knew what the answer was okay well i'm glad you knew the answer i've seen this movie a lot i mean i've seen this movie a lot too but i like don't remember a lot of it i guess it's been like 10 years since i watched this i mean this is also where my uh crush on elijah dushku like really heightened beautiful yeah had such a crush on her yeah both of the well earned well earned (laughs) yep she and jesse bradford what a handsome family they put yeah right (laughs) Uh, it must have been the 2000. <laughs> uh, you know what must have been the 2000? How motherfucking skinny everybody in this movie oh was. Like, that oh, was wow, yeah. shocking. Ooh, yeah. Oh. Even when uh, Sparky was talking about Darcy's ass. You it, know? It was wild how many ass jokes they made about Darcy, who has a perfectly normal sized butt. Super normal <laughs> ass. Yep. So normal. It was so weird. Like, there were a couple that I was like, what? what is this and then i remembered at that time j-lo was like the pinnacle of giant butts and like if you look at j-lo now she has a nice butt she has a very nice butt but it's not good, like good butt but she's not like megan the stallion she doesn't right. have like a big ass and so it's wild to see all these jokes about darcy where it's like what is this it's it was very weird j-lo and darcy crawled so megan the stallion could walk for real mm-hmm. And we all thank I mean, her. Yes. <laughs> I guess a lot of the other, I guess a lot of the rest of the, of the uh, squad have like really tiny butts by comparison. So yeah, maybe that's are, what it is. But yeah, I don't still, know. it's wild. It's a very, wild. Two, it's a very 2000s thing that now when you watch it, it makes like almost no sense. I bet people like my younger sister's age would watch this and be like, I don't understand this joke. And that's good that they yeah, don't understand it, you know. I would agree. Oh, that... uh, I do enjoy that they referred to Buffy, completely unrelated, but in that same area. Uh, they made a, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer reference, uh, and I don't. I guess had Eliza Dushku not been on Buffy yet at that point. Ooh, By I don't 2000... know. I don't even remember when Buffy premiered. Yeah, me neither. Uh, Buffy was from 97 to 2003. So then she would have been there was, already. 
Yeah, because she was in like season three or something. Oh yeah. yeah, this probably she was probably filming around the same time, so the show would have premiered before the movie would have. So it, it was probably intentional. Yeah, but also the that. way that I've they never right. seen Buffy. Yeah, the the way that they dropped Buffy uh, worked as like a, a nod to Elijah Dushku, but um, also it was like um, you know Buffy is just like a generic white girl name. You know, mm-hmm. while we're like sort of talking around Sparky too, I also made a note. I feel like the casting of Sparky isn't perfect, but I thought that he was pretty good. And in hindsight, I'm very grateful they did not cast Andy Dick in that role because that feels like a part that was fucking written for Andy Dick, and it would have ruined this movie. Oh sure, this this movie would not be rewatchable in the same way it is now if Sparky Plastry was played by Andy Dick. Like it would have completely changed the. It would have felt more like the original, uh, non satirical, non campy script. It, yes. It's, it's a character that would be so easy to do in a very, very gross way. And I'm glad that they really threaded the line on him. And it, it holds up much other than like the weird butt jokes and like jokes about eating disorders. But that all feels very meta in a lot of ways. A lot of that with him feels intentional because of the way that this guy plays this character. If they had thrown mm-hmm. it away in a very different kind of context, I think that this could have been a lot worse. But I thought that it held up much better than I was expecting. Yeah. You know, uh, agreed. I, yes, definitely agree. I wrote still a good bit of passive sexism for such a female positive film. Yes. There's some very casual sexism from Sparky and it's like clearly written that way on purpose. And it's just, yeah, it, it yeah. could have gone a lot worse. <laughs> you know who, who I think could have played Sparky uh christopher maloney yes i mm. to- i feel like that is the energy that was needed for, yeah. for Sparky. <laughs> he would have been very good because this would what when did wet hot american summer come out um i want to say yep i was right after this 2001 oh yeah Oh, what a missed opportunity. He would have been very good as Sparky. <laughs> I'm just picturing I'm, him from Wet Hot American Summer as a, cor- uh, a, a choreographer. <laughs> exactly. Yes. That exact same character, only in the pleather and doing the spirit fingers. Like 100%. Ugh, I love Christopher Maloney. He's yeah, very funny. So I think it's good. very funny that he got super, super famous doing Law and Order, a not at all funny show. Oh, yeah. And, but he's very funny. It's like John Hamm, where you watch Mad Men and you're like, yeah, sure, you're like incidentally funny on this. But then you really see him act in other things. And it's like, oh, shit, you're very good at comedy. Oh, yeah. It's just that you happen to get famous doing not comedy. <laughs> Yeah, I, I tend not to go back to Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, uh, but uh, John Hamm's performance in that as the cult leader was very funny. He's very good. I like him a lot. Oh, he should do more movies as comedies. Bro, I agree. Like, wh- why why is everyone sitting on, on John Hamm like that? I don't know. That's a great question. Because he's out here playing Santa for FIFA commercials, <laughs> <laughs> making insane money. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. John, John Hamm will do what whatever he wants. Is right? What I'm, yeah. <laughs> he's like, I made all my money. I can just do literally whatever I want. So the last question really about this movie, Aaron, 
is mm-hmm. bring it on still worth your time Oh, I'm sorry. We do have one more thing we need to discuss before we hit that point. Okay. We got to talk about how much Aaron fucking sucks. Yes, we do have to talk about how much Aaron sucks. Aaron fucking sucks. Fucking Fuck that sucks. guy. Dude, Aaron is a character that makes me think he was written not satirically and that with the script punch-ups and changes, he was changed into a much more campy satirical character. Oh, yeah. That red sweater that he wears is ridiculous ridiculous it's ridiculous to be wearing in california it's ridiculous to be wearing literally anywhere like i think that his styling and costume details are so good and just communicate so clearly what a piece of shit he is like it's is surprisingly well written in a way that you want to punch him in the face, but you also know that he's absolutely going to get what's coming to him. Mm -hmm. So it never feels overwhelming in a way that I think that it was maybe originally written. Probably did. Like Mm -hmm. to to be specific, they're in Southern California. Like I know it can get cold (laughs) in Northern California where you might need a sweater, but you don't need that in San Diego, bro. You don't need this main fisherman sweater. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, you make a very excellent point. I feel like they did not change Aaron at all in the script and kept him as a stupid idiot. Um, But because of the changes around him, it worked so much better, you know, because Mm -hmm. to have um, to have Torrance be so aware to be like, hey, you know what? He does suck. I'm breaking up with him is a very healthy response to that shitty person. Yes definitely and like there are so many clues to it that lead up to him being so shitty too like her parents hate him he's a fucking terrible unsafe driver which i think is a great detail it's a very good detail for a teenager (laughs) to be so fucking reckless like that made me laugh every time my brother-in-law used to drive like that when we were in high school (laughs) and like it makes me laugh now every single time but it's i they build up to him in such a great way and like you you don't even see him so much of the time like what you're hearing is his roommate covering for him on the phone and like a plot point that would not hold up in 2023 because everyone has cell phones and so like Mm -hmm. the recording of the routines the no clovers could never prove that they had stolen from them like that it it would not be possible to make this movie now (laughs) and the way that Aaron avoids her and like leaves all this to like landline communication, especially I feel like is something that technologically just like does not transfer in the same way, but works as a very effective plot point in this. It's crazy how telephone technology will completely undo old movies. Like, oh yeah, I, mm. I mean it changed our lives in ways that were just incomprehensible to people 15 years ago even. Yeah, we have supercomputers in our pockets at all times. Constantly. Yep. <laughs> when they used to take up an entire fucking room. <laughs> For real, dude. It's wild. <laughs> the the concept of a character just straight up not knowing something simple, no longer possible. Right. Like, you can just Google it. You could just check yep. and see any of this stuff. Like, there's so much, like, telephone miscommunication that happens in a way that it's it's such a time capsule for the time. Like, it's funny that landlines and the hotel room phones don't feel as dated as, like, a flip phone would have. <laughs> like, there's something about a flip phone where you're like, that's fake. That's not real. <laughs> <laughs> 
I forgot what I was watching and somebody uh busted out um uh oh my god what were, what were those team a sidekick someone busted oh out a sidekick and I was just like fuck are we at oh uh god. at an early 2000s uh pop punk show in a basement fuck, like dude <laughs> it's like watching lost it's just flip phone after flip phone like 2004 <laughs> everybody had a flip phone so they're all over it it's like this feels more dated than anything else about this oh, show yeah. uh in the later episodes of fraser when niles and fraser uh get better cell phones but their better cell phones are still like flip phones and it's <laughs> so weird it's so strange oh yeah it's funny they totally avoided this that and bring it on i like that because this they could have used some of that technology and like they're especially missy and uh what's his fuck cliff their parents are clearly rich like they each have their own individual phone line with an answering machine right like, that indicates that they're a level of wealth in 2000 that i'm a little surprised that they didn't have cell phones and i like yeah. that they made that choice not to use them yeah and i feel like a lot of yeah because they could have had those little nokia bricks oh yeah right yeah and i think that uh offers a new uh storytelling tool for modern writers because if they want to set a story where, uh, you know, cell phones and such easy access to each other uh, will be a non-factor, they'll just set it in the early 2000s or late 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's easy to to date something backwards in a way. I, That's... I was watching the new um, Hulu series Up Here, which is a musical uh, directed by Tommy Kale from Hamilton and uh with music from the lopez's from frozen uh with may whitman and uh the dude who plays cisco ramon from the flash oh my god carlos valdez yeah uh and it's set uh at the turn of the new millennium like and i'm mm-hmm. and like the the cell phones just aren't uh as central to the to the plot you know because they would instantly solve some of the problems right yeah <laughs> that they're having you know it's so wild oh it makes me feel old a little bit yeah <laughs> oh my god god it, it, all right if bring it on happened uh just a few years later uh you know the clovers would be trying to get torrents canceled on twitter or on myspace <laughs> on myspace <Y'all>. jesus christ <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, you asked me, so now I'll ask you, Ben. Do you think that this movie is worth your time? Oh, absolutely. You know, um, one of the most important things about uh, movies from the past uh, is that sometimes you can learn what not to do, right? Um, so it's important to see that stuff as it is. So you're not constantly making these, these. Uh, passive sexist jokes or these these uh, queer jokes uh, but also you get to see things like Torrance and Isis uh, and how they are fully formed characters that break uh, tropes constantly you know um, but like in addition to the cultural impact of Bring It On because yes uh I did not think that when this movie came out that this movie would be so culturally important. But look, For real? <laughs> looking at it from today's lens, uh, it is very culturally important, you know. Um, but in addition to that, it's fun. 
you know like mm-hmm. the the it has a killer soundtrack the yeah the stunts and the uh you know the the cheerleading acts are all really good it's choreographed really well that remix mm-hmm. of oh, oh mickey over the uh it's really good yeah it is fun not enough movies have fun like that anymore also the runtime no movies don't have this runtime anymore oh man i looked it up and it was like a hundred minutes that's it (laughs) yeah you know like there was such a great time for short but fun movies in mm-hmm. comedies uh but even like you know some more kind of serious stuff but like just what happened to that why do i need to sit through three hours of fucking avatar yeah. every time i go to the theater like i don't Dude, need I that don't all the time it's... i don't have time for that <laughs> no, right you have a kid Straight you don't have time for I that have a kid i haven't had time for that since before i got pregnant like i started getting i got pregnant and i was like oh can't sit through an hour-long movie never mind <laughs> so i don't think i'll ever return to that i had to it took me like four hours to watch bring it on i keep i kept having to like pause it and go do stuff and then come back and was like all right at least this holds up over like a an extended watch <laughs> <laughs> ansel how about you is bring it on worth your time as someone who has just seen it for the first time? Yeah, I would say I would say it absolutely was worth my time. If only because there are so many cultural touchstones in this film that suddenly I have context for. Like <laughs> I knew I knew the Spirit Fingers line before the Spirit Fingers line was said in the movie and I don't think before watching this I could have told you where that was from. Uh-huh. Uh so yeah, I think it was very much worth my time also as a time capsule, as we talked about. Um, it's interesting to have this look back into the early 2000s and what we were doing at the time. Uh, yeah, I I don't think that there's an argument against it being worth your time, except for the fact that it does have all these very dated jokes Mm-hmm. that you know not every viewer is going to be prepared to deal with right yeah um, i totally agree with that so like yeah it, is it worth everybody's time no but it was worth mine mm-hmm. um yeah i i i really i really thought it was uh especially interesting to see the the way that they left it as is at the end of the movie where if it was made today I mean, among the many, many other changes that there would be, um, I feel like there would be a need for like almost a Rashomon-esque version of the story from the Clover's point of view. Because we get so little of the Clover. The Clovers are clearly the heroes of this movie. Right. Mm-hmm. And at least in in my estimation, the Clovers are clearly the, the heroes of the film. Um and we get so little of their viewpoint aside from when they're being confrontational with mm-hmm. Torrance um, that I really would love to see. I'd love to see the same movie shot from the Clover's POV. Um, Ooh, that would be cool. Right? Yeah. I actually like that a lot. And I mean, there have been six or seven sequels, so who knows? Maybe Yeah, they that's did true. That, but... uh, interestingly <laughs> enough. Including a horror sequel that came out last yeah, year. Yeah, that's the most Ooh, reasonable. I didn't know that. Uh, cheer or die yes uh but interestingly enough gabrielle union has been developing 
uh, an actual true sequel to the original Bring It On for some time. Yeah. Um, Hell yeah. Hell yeah, Gabrielle. I would love to catch up with Isis and Torrance, you know, maybe to see if they're cheerleading moms now or if, like, they run squads or... You know, mm-hmm. if they if they work for the the cheer association or something like that, there's a lot of ground that they could cover uh, with a legacy sequel. And I mean, t- fuck, that's I know that's a horse that's been beaten to death many times over uh, a legacy sequel. But sometimes that shit is just fun. I know some people. It works. Yeah. You know, Picard season three. <laughs> oh, masterwork. Love it so Truly. much. It's so good. The second we saw Daddy Worf back on screen again. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. And then when he finally reunited with the rest of the crew, I was just like, yes! <laughs> it, I don't know. I'm Maybe I'm just a sucker for that stuff. You know, like... Listen, fan service is good sometimes. Like, too much fan service can be bad, but sometimes, like, what you want is fan service. Yeah. Yeah. I... And I have been fan serviced more egregiously than, than yes. that show has been. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you're watching it, Aaron, but uh, yeah, it's it's very good. I'm not currently watching it. I have heard that it ha- has been very good, though. Yeah. See, because like when the only people I get to talk to about it really are Ansel, Bobby, and Stella, and Stella doesn't watch stuff as it comes out. She waits till much later. Yeah. Um, but when she gets to it eventually, she's just like, Picard's trash. And I'm like, it's not yeah, she's, entirely she does trash. does not like Picard. <laughs> does not like it, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I... She makes very good points does. for why she doesn't oh, like yeah. it. I just I think, disagree. Yeah, I think that she, she has a very uh, focused way that she likes her Star Trek. Right. Mm-hmm. Gay. Gay. Just... <laughs> Super gay. <laughs> It's fair. Picard could be much gayer. It could be. (laughs) They really gestured at it and then didn't follow through. And it's like, come on, guys. Okay, yeah, I would be uh, not into that as well. (laughs) No, more gay. (laughs) Make it more gay. (laughs) Well, all right. But anyway. (laughs) All right, party people. uh, That does it for our review of the landmark time travel film, Bring It On. Uh you can find us on the internet. I'm at Beeselvera20 on Instagram, Twitter, and Hive. Ooh, I'm at NYD Urgency on Instagram. I am at Indecisionist on Twitter and at The Indecisionist on Instagram. Uh, if you'd like to join in the conversation, you can use the hashtag Time to Party. That's Time the Number Two Party. Or Time the Number Two Party, all spelled out. Thanks, Warwick. <laughs> because of Warwick. It's all your fault, Warwick. It's all your fault, Warwick. <laughs> you had a nickel for every time you had to say yeah, that. That's true. Yeah, for real. We should have several nickels at least. Man, in, in the two years that we lived together, I should have started a jar. It's all your fault. <laughs> chucking nickels in. <laughs> oh, hilarious. Special thanks to April Moralba for our podcast art and to Marlon Longit of Marlon and the Shakes for our amazing theme song. This has been an Indecisionist production. Transcripts and show notes are available at indecisionist.com slash time to party. Uh, yes. Well, uh, our good friends, uh, the dear party people who tune in to this batshit crazy thing that we've been doing (laughs) Uh, we want you to tune in next week uh, when instead of our usual 
uh, edutainment section, we're going to have a very special episode. Uh, That's right. <laughs> See you then. Just member berries all the way down. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so until then, uh, be excellent to each other. And party on, dudes. And happy April Fool's Day, you? bitches. Happy April Fool's. Pew pew. That's Bye. right. We're two weeks. Two weeks after the fact, but <laughs> <laughs> we gotcha. <laughs> yep, that's that's how you do it now. The long game. Exactly. Yep. That's a long time. Yep. <laughs>